Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast. I'm Tracy Ray, BBC Good Food's health editor. In this episode, I will be discussing the importance of sleep for your health with sleep expert, Stephanie Ramaszewski. Did you know that sleep is just as important for your health as diet and exercise? Good sleep improves brain performance, mood, and reduces the risk of developing common health conditions from heart disease to dementia. But what does good quality sleep actually look like? And if we're struggling with our sleep, how could we move past this? Joining me today is Stephanie Ramaszewski, sleep physiologist, insomnia and CBTI expert at the Sleepyhead Clinic in Exeter. Stephanie holds a vast amount of experience having worked with Harvard Medical School, NASA, Guys and St. Thomas's, as well as regularly consulting for the NHS. Her unique approaches have helped thousands to work on their sleep challenges and catch more of those all-important restorative Zs. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm so excited to talk to you today. Sleep is a topic that we get so many questions on. And we've spoken a little bit before on this podcast about some of the kind of nutritional and dietary approaches to sleep, you know, making sure that you have those all important nutrients. But your background is more the psychology and behavioral aspect. So I'm so excited to learn 
more tips around our sleep routines and how to get the best quality of sleep, because let's be honest, most of us need it. (laughs) So I'd like to start. You have such an interesting background, having studied chronobiology, uh, the biology of rhythms, for anyone um, who isn't familiar with that term, psychology and behavioral sleep medicine. I'd love to know how you came to study sleep and how did sleep become such a passion of yours? I think I was always very interested um, from, you know, a childlike perspective of why do I have uh, night terrors or, you know, sometimes you hallucinate random stuff in the night. And I was always very interested in that. But actually, it was a bit fluke. So I was at university studying psychology and we used to have those um, like sandwich placement years where you could go somewhere and, you know, do a, a placement year. And I happened to get mine at Harvard. So I was actually studying and working over there. So I was very lucky to start being thrown in the absolute deep end of working in a sleep lab. Um, and we were doing some fantastic studies. So one of them was working with NASA, trying to get astronauts onto a 25-hour day, essentially, uh, or at least that was the aim, um, because Mars isn't a 24-hour day, and understanding how we would move through those periods of jet lag. So it really taught me so much about time as a concept when it comes to your sleep, because I don't think people understand this idea that time is incredibly important. We're obsessed with duration and quality, but not our own behaviours and when we do things, which is what I learned then. And then, of course, that just blew my mind. And I was like, OK, let's let's go into this. <laughs> OK, you are already blowing my mind um, <laughs> because everything that I've read is always talking about quality and the precise quantity that you need. So let's start with some sleep stats and then get into this time concept. So give us some stats around sleep. How many people does poor sleep affect? So you're looking around about a third of the global population will at some point in their lives suffer with some poor sleep problems. Um, but really, when you're looking at something like insomnia, which when most people ask me this question, that's what they're really asking, you know, how many people have broken sleep or struggle with their sleep? Um, and it looks to be about 10% of the global population. And I think that's important because saying global means that actually, no matter what kind of culture society you're from, it still seems to be very much a problem, a very modern day problem. So you mentioned insomnia there, and I know that that's an area that you specialize in. How do you categorize insomnia? You know, would you say anyone that has some form of sleep disruption could fall under that bracket? Or is it a specialized term in your clinic as well? So um, I think the former, so it, it, it could be anything. So really, if you're struggling with your sleep, and it is affecting your daytime in some shape or form, that's a type of insomnia. It's just that we would look at it we would start to look at this for you if it had become something quite chronic. So if you'd been suffering for longer than three months, that tells us that it's become a very ingrained problem in your brain. It's become a pattern. Um, So that's when, you know, we might start to think about doing something about it. Not necessarily, though, you can get short-term insomnias, which is where you have a struggle to get to sleep or perhaps you don't struggle to get to sleep at all. Perhaps you are in the middle of the night waking at exactly the same time every single night. Um, and, And the important thing, 
suffering is, is not really how long you've been suffering. It's that it's impacting your daily life. That's when it becomes the issue. I think it's important just to mention as well that, of course, there are other sleep disorders and there are other reasons that your sleep could be dysfunctional. But the most common reason is a form of insomnia. Um, and so a lot of people come to me and they don't even say, I've got insomnia. They wouldn't even sort of thought about it in that way. It's much more, I struggle to get to sleep or I don't have a problem getting to sleep, but I wake up way too early. How do I change this? Or, you know, actually sometimes it's far more about the, the anxieties around sleep. So the fear and the stress that you build up because you're so worried that sleep looks so different for you now than, than it did before. I think that's so interesting because I would wager a guess that a lot of people listening, unless they've been struggling with sleep, you know, for their whole lives or literally just cannot sleep, wouldn't consider themselves to be in that range of insomnia. But as you say, if you're even struggling to get to sleep, maybe it's taking you, you know, an hour extra, or maybe you're not sleeping for long enough or all of the good things that you're probably going to tell us, that is going to affect your day. And that is, you know, maybe not a chronic sleep issue, but it is a sleep issue that probably needs to be addressed. Well, I think it's this really interesting point that you bring up because there are about 10% of insomnia sufferers who we will never hear from because they believe that their problem is just, it's not a problem to them is what I'm trying to say. So they see it as just their pattern and they're okay with it. And actually what you need to ask then is, well, if they're okay with it and actually their daily life is not being affected in their perception and they feeling okay, is it really a problem? And I think this is important because if you are saying that sleep that looks different at some point in your life is always something wrong, then you are not understanding that sleep is actually a bit of a flow state. It's going to go up and down, ebb and flow all around with your life. And that's important. And we need to have very different expectations of sleep depending on what we're going through. However, if you know that it's very debilitating for you and your perception, and this is really important, is that it is impacting your day. You, It is affecting your life. You have a lot of sleep anxiety. It is very distressing for you. Then 100%, there's definitely something that can be done about that. And that 100% is going to impact you and is very unhealthy for you. And this is important because I think a lot of us believe that sleep needs to look very, very perfect in order for it not to be, uh, you know, affecting us in a, in a bad way. But actually, all of our sleep is going to be entirely different. What is normal to you is not the same normal for me. That is such a good point. And I feel like we could just end the podcast there because <laughs> that's all you... <laughs> I feel like that's if you just take that one piece of information away, because, you know, as amazing as social media and everything is now for getting information, I think sometimes you can look and you can decide that there's an issue when maybe there isn't. So what I hear you saying is even if your sleep doesn't look exactly like this perfect routine that you see online where you have your sound machine and you have your <laughs> lovely uh essential oils and you know you're winding down with a book and you your fresh pajamas and all of these even if it doesn't look like that even if maybe perhaps it looks like some of the things that you're told to avoid if you feel rested and it's not impacting your life then you have the power to decide is this something that you want to address or maybe it's actually okay 
Yes, I absolutely agree with you. I could not have put it better myself. I really feel we have to normalise different types of sleep, but also poor sleep in the short term when you're going through a piece of stress, hormonal changes, medication changes, illness is totally normal. And if we don't accept that, then we are actually going to perpetuate the problem. Because as you can imagine, as soon as you allow the, I call it the anxiety gremlin, because it's like an anxiety gremlin that comes up and starts getting you to worry about it. It's not about the problem anymore. You've created another one, which is anxiety. And anxiety, actually, I would argue, is far worse for you and far more going to affect your stress levels, which we have plenty of evidence of how that affects your health. So I think it's really important to understand that, to normalise sleep problems, not just for people who don't have a sleep problem right now so that they feel better and not worrying, but also because if you can start to understand that there is a point where sleep problems are actually normal, then it really does help you get rid of sleep problems as well. Because even on your journey to fixing insomnia, which there absolutely is a way, and I'm sure we'll uh, cover that a little bit, um, if you believe that sleep should be perfect, then you are going to strive for perfection. And, and in science, that doesn't exist. And it can make you ill, a bit like clean eating all of the time. We know that there's a lot of mental health issues with that and it's the same with sleep. One thousand percent. I love the phrase personalization, not perfection. So kind of figuring out what suits you. And I, I just got that uh, image in my head as you were speaking of, you know, sitting there, not being able to fall asleep, but it's your bedtime. So you're in bed and you're staying in bed and you're like, <laughs> let me start counting sheep because that's what I should do. Um, whereas actually, you you know, there's probably lots of other things you mm. could do to support that. You briefly mentioned short term, um, maybe environmental um, or, you know, emotional uh, issues that could affect your sleep. And then you mentioned in your clinic kind of dealing with some more chronic conditions like uh, insomnia and things. Say someone generally has really good sleep, they feel good, they wake up refreshed, but they're going through a really stressful period. Maybe they've had a bereavement, maybe they're struggling with some health issues and that's affecting their sleep. Would that be a point that they could reach out for help with someone like yourself? Or are there some general tips that you can apply or does it just come back to the same thing of if it's affecting you enough go get help and if it's not um then you know continue so it's a, it's a complicated answer because if if you're looking at the diagnostic criteria of insomnia you're looking at around about three months when it goes over that line we know it's become more ingrained we also know that actually it's probably not going away anytime soon but you're so right if somebody is really struggling then they should be able to reach out at any time my advice will change depending on where they are in their condition so right at the beginning my advice is going to be to do nothing you're okay your body's actually doing exactly what it should and your sleep is amazing because it can realign with what's going on and it does look different and it might not reach your expectations, but it is working hard. It's keeping you alive. So trust me, it's doing a really good job, no matter what, you know, it's doing, you know, what your expectations are that it should be, which are often not based in any science whatsoever. But equally, if somebody has been suffering for 
a while, um, no matter how distressed or not distressed they are, but they want to resolve it, that's when we know that there is some very evidence-based tools that we can start to give that will help regulate their sleep and get rid of the gaps at night. So that definitely exists. And then just to add another caveat to it, there is something called hyperarousal and hypersensitivity, which is let's just say you have two people, one of them is really looking after their sleep and I'll explain how um, in general. So they're not being perfect or anything. It's just that they know the most influential things that are going to keep their sleep on track. They will be less sensitive to their surroundings, to their stress, to whatever is going on. So when sleep gets broken, the annoying thing is that you become more sensitive to everything going on. So you become more um, hyper aroused, essentially. You, you know, noise is more affecting to you, stress, everything, everything picks up to you. You can't sit there and listen to your partner breathe in bed like somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Like that starts to really impact you. Whereas somebody who in general understands the science of sleep and is effectively regulating it better for example this is exactly what I do um they will find that they are probably in general less hypersensitive that does not mean I don't suffer from sleep problems every now and again but it generally means that I am more immune to them I imagine it also means that for people that might find themselves in a situation where they're feeling quite hypersensitive and reactive and looking for maybe a contributor to that and haven't considered sleep, maybe that's something to consider as well. Because um, I think often you, at least from what I hear, is often you hear people talking about the anxiety or the sensitivity first, but not thinking about what might be what might be causing that. Yeah. So you talk about kind of good sleep. If I want brilliant sleep, what does that look like? So this is a gr- I love this question because everyone thinks I'm going to say something and I'm not. Um, essentially, <laughs> it looks different for everybody. But ultimately, if I were to look at somebody who I felt had really good sleep, what I'd be looking for is, first of all, how do they think about their sleep? So it's probably somebody who goes about their life. They don't really think about their sleep that much. They cherish it because they know it's important. They don't blame it for everything because that's where you can get into trouble. Um, And if they have a bad night's sleep, in general, they're not re-evaluating their day, changing anything really to be able to cope or control sleep. So they're just, you know, okay, didn't have a great night. It's actually fine. I'm not going to get fired in this meeting. I'm not going to make huge mistakes. You know, the perception is that you might, but actually in reality, in real life, what's going to happen? You've probably dealt with far worse before. Most of us have, um, and you're going to be absolutely fine. So in general, the way they think is very not anxiety-based. There's no real concerns around sleep. And and also, it's probably some of the things that I do. So, f- for example, those people are, are really thinking about their morning time more than they're thinking about their evening time. So, for example, your sleep drive that's built by you spending more time awake starts when you get up in the morning. Now, if you continue to snooze the alarm or get up at different times at the weekend versus the, the weekdays, when especially when you have bad nights uh, over the good, things like that. So you're always compensating. You're always trying to cope or control. You'll notice that you probably won't have a very predictable 
sleepiness when you go to bed and the quality of your sleep or the drive won't be able to take you through the night anyway. Whereas if you get up around about the same time, most of the time, I'm not saying you have to be a robot here. I'm just saying that I don't do things that differently on a weekend and a weekday. And in general, as long as there's nothing going on, like I'm poorly or I'm catching a flight or something, I generally do get up at the same time and I get plenty of light exposure and I move my body and it can be artificial light exposure, don't worry. Just that, those three things in the morning and I do those fairly consistently. I do them more consistently than anything else that I might do around my sleep and that one thing or those three key things all put together is going to help you throughout your life, no matter what is going on, menopause, hormonal changes, stress, moving house, doesn't matter. That will regulate you far better than anything else I could teach you. That is absolutely fascinating. It's not often I get stumped. I'm a real research nerd, but you're the first um, sleep expert to focus on the morning instead of the evening. I think probably everyone listening, like myself, was expecting you to go into this kind of <laughs> bullet point no, <laughs> role no. of like how to wind down for the evening. And it's funny you say that because I have a six month old daughter. So we're kind of Aww. trying to learn about sleep. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I recently learned was the importance of waking them up and getting light in their eyes at the same time every morning to regulate that cycle. So what you're saying is it's the same no matter what age you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're all and things that but, you know, if you understand that and you understand that sleep is going to change throughout your life and you can't control it all the time. Yes, winding down for sleep uh, for sleep is important, but relaxation alone and winding down is not going to fix any of your sleep problems. And when your sleep is just not performing well or whatever, it's just not going to be enough. There's no evidence to show that relaxation alone can do anything. What you have to have is a strong, predictable sleep drive. And you can't expect that to happen overnight, by the way. You actually need to be consistent with your behaviour, which is the other issue I find in sleep medicine, one of the biggest ones, which is more of a bigger health issue, which is us humans like a very reactive tool. We want to know something just before we're going to do it, how to fix it or change it, which is why we concentrate on the evening. And we really struggle with consistency. We really cannot cope with doing something over time, even when we're not motivated. So discipline over motivation because he's not going to be motivated all the time. Just doing something without looking for progress as soon as you put in the work. It's Your progress is always going to be lagging behind you slightly. It always has to start with your behaviour. I believe that a lot of us, and I, I was the same before I started studying this, you think that your body is a slightly mysterious thing and it comes up with these side effects sometimes and you feel a bit weird. And what we never look at is your own behavior and what's been going on in your own life, the things you can control and the things you can't control and understanding why this might have happened rather than, okay, my body's doing this mysterious thing. I therefore need to react to it. And then you change your behaviors over and over and you never get to your goals. You never end up treating yourself, losing the weight, uh, you know, making your sleep better, uh, building the muscle because you lack the consistency. It's so, again, the anxiety gremlin comes in. And if you, I get it with my muscle training, I will go in and I'll be like, why? At the beginning, of course, I was seeing changes really quickly. But as we all know, with weight training, after a while, it takes you longer to see them. And then suddenly I'm walking home from the gym and I'm thinking, well, I haven't seen the changes that I was looking for. 
for, but I've been working really hard. And actually, it doesn't matter. It's weird that we believe that effort equals change. But actually, your physiology is going to change when it wants to and everything's realigned and it's done all its stuff. That's when it's going to change. Just like training a small puppy to do what you want it to do. It's not about how hard you train it or how much you think you've put the work in. It's going to happen when it happens. The penny will drop, but we've just got to get rid of all these expectations. I love that. I mean, consistency is key, Mm -hmm. right? There isn't like a magic pill to make your sleep feel better overnight. But I love the fact that you mentioned kind of discipline over motivation, um, because I think sometimes you can feel like, oh, how are all of these people getting so motivated to do this? Like, how does this person do this? They must have some, you know, trick. But actually, it's just about being disciplined and wanting it. They feel it and do it anyway. That's the only difference. So everyone feels the same things. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but hopefully feels them in maybe a little bit more of an even keeled way if you're sleeping well. Yeah. And, and I think the most important thing to mention is that that's not just going to regulate your sleep, your mood, your appetite regulation. I'm talking about circadian rhythms, which I'm sure some people would have heard of. Um, and they, that is just a fancy way of saying the, the physiological processes that run on a 24 hour cycle. So, It's not just your sleep that can be benefited from you being fairly disciplined about the right things rather than cluttering your life with this ritualistic, obsessive behavior in the evening. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. At the UPS store we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday you can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need is there anything you can't do um actually i don't have a good singing voice <clears throat> the UPS. nope but our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything at least that's good the ups store be unstoppable most locations are independently owned product services pricing and hours of operation may vary see center for details come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time You mentioned anxiety and kind of hypersensitivity as a big consequence of poor sleep or lack of sleep. Are there any other big consequences that you see a lot in your clinic? Um, So one of the biggest ones is how far that person is removed from the life that they really want to live. So, for example, they start cancelling a lot of activities because, again, they're trying to either cope with what's just happened, the broken sleep, or they're trying to control what will happen. And we've got this idea that if we control the entire of our day, I will not see anyone. I will not go out late. I will be the perfect person, um, which 
moves you further and further away from the life that you need to live. So being social, being active, getting yourself outside, these things are important. But I find that people move further and further away from those things, um, which is one of the first things I'm like, let's get back, let you know, liberate yourself from all this random stuff you're doing, get rid of it, it doesn't make you feel good anyway. And let's add in all the fun stuff, which on its own can make huge differences. So I think that's a huge consequence. And then I think a lot of health anxiety. So, you know, the idea that something bad is going to happen to you all the time. And that's why insomnia is so insidious, because unlike sleep deprivation, which is different because that is an active restriction of your sleep. So think about a baby keeping you up at night. That's I know a bit about that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I often ask people to say, you know, there'll be a time in your life where you had active sleep deprivation. Now, sleep deprivation, of course, we all know it is bad for us. You know, you can't, but also you can't sustain long-term sleep deprivation. So eventually you will not be able to keep your eyes open. The reason insomnia is more insidious is because your brain's being far more efficient and smarter than you, smarter than you realize. And so you're not getting those feelings, like being able to actually feel feel the need to sleep. Uh, so it's very confusing. And because of all the knowledge that we are clearly not disseminating properly um, about sleep deprivation, you are constantly fearing. It holds you on a knife edge and you are constantly fearing what is going to happen. And actually nothing. I see people who are 90 years old who just didn't know there was something they could do about their sleep, who come to me and have lived a very successful life with insomnia and they are still here doing very, very well. But suddenly they're like, oh, actually there's there's this thing I can do. There's a, a type of retraining of these patterns in my brain that I can do that will actually get me better sleep. Um, but they've learned to cope with it. And I see people who go through phases of their insomnia, like they get quite a lot of fear. But if you have insomnia over decades, which is a lot of the people that I treat, they will also be able to talk to you about how they did go through a very extreme anxious stage. But then because they had it so long, they pre- proved all their anxieties wrong because they were still here. They hadn't dropped down dead. They didn't have early onset Alzheimer's. Um, They, you know, they were still getting through their days. It's not ideal. It doesn't feel the same as when you're having a great night's sleep, but they were still coping. Mm. So I think, you know, it it sounds like there's an element of self-talk in that as well. So, you know, I think we focus on, ah, I'm having sleep issues. I need to figure out how to sleep properly immediately or I'm going to keel over. Whereas what you're saying is that, you know, these things, these issues and patterns and behaviors can take time to dissolve and they can, you know, it can happen slowly. And there's, even if you're not going to feel as amazing as you would with fantastic sleep, there's still a little bit of that self-talk kind of throughout that can help kind of dilute some of the the anxieties, which I find kind of comforting, actually, in in that, you know, there's there's a way to manage a little bit while oh, you figure out sure. the, the full picture. Exactly. And also, you've got to think about your anxiety gremlins, because they don't just change the chemicals in your brain, which obviously will impact your sleep. So if you're getting anxious before you go to bed, guess what's happening? Your melatonin is going down and your cortisol levels, your 
stress hormones, they're going up. So, so not only is it changing the chemicals in your brain, that's your self-talk doing that, which is crazy, right? To think that we have that power, but also it can change your behaviors. So for example, let's just say you start off doing some good things around your sleep and you know, you've listened and you're, you're doing the right things, but then it comes in and it starts to sabotage your, your progress by telling you, well, you're still having that problem or, you know, what are you going to do about this? You know, you've got to get up tomorrow. If you, if you start doing this, how are you going to be able to cope? And then you start changing your behavior. So the very fascinating thing about self-talk, I find, is that it changes your behavior. Think about when you've had a bad night. Oh, well, I'm not going to go to the gym this morning and I'm not going to see my friends tonight. I'm only going to stick to the responsibilities that I absolutely have to do today. Even though those behaviors that you're counseling are probably going to help you sleep better the following night. So it's about, that's what I find fascinating about self-talk. It's the way that you can change the chemicals in your brain. And it's the way that you change your own behaviours. It's your self-talk that does that. It's absolutely fascinating. You've mentioned a little bit about the morning actually being a big part of having good sleep. Can you mention a little bit about the evening? Because I know everyone's going to be thinking, okay, well, I I get up at the same time. But (laughs) what about all of this other information and these other things I've been doing? Or is the morning the main focus? So... There's some general things like, for example, I definitely think it's helpful to see your day in three parts. So you have a wake time, you have a winding down or buffer zone or or a time just before you go to bed, and then you have your sleep time. So I think it is helpful to have this this idea that there is a chunk of your day most of the time. You can't stick to this all the time. You've got to enjoy yourself. But some of the time or most of the time you're sticking to this kind of idea that you do stop doing your daytime activities at a certain time. So a few hours before you go to bed, you do need a separate time of your day. You can't take everything you do during the day, like being on your phone, doing your work, doing the chores, doing everything, and then take that into the evening. What that will do is it will tell your brain that you still want to be firing on all cylinders, which means it's not going to think that you want to be winding down and have that lovely physiological process that is supposed to happen. Starts around nine-ish. It doesn't mean you need to be going to bed by nine. It just does in most people start around nine-ish. So if you've still got super bright light, which we know reduces melatonin and makes you feel more awake. If you are still doing something that your brain very much associates with the daytime, then you're going to start to notice that you can become more of an evening person. You can push your bedtime round. And not just that, you might get to sleep fairly fine, but the sleep quality you get isn't great and you're easily woken up. So lots of people thinking that if they don't struggle with getting to sleep, then they might not need to be worried about anything. But actually, you know, that that quality time is important. And I also think it's important to understand that what you do in that time to be relaxed and, you know, to make yourself happy and content, it's also the next best thing to sleep. So if you can't sleep, those are the things that you should go back to. That is the place in your house if you don't just have a studio apartment or even if you just can get out of the bed and be somewhere else that is what you should be doing when you can't sleep it is the next best thing just having a rest fantastic people really panic about their sleep opportunity and not using it all for sleep when i'm just like why your body clearly today just doesn't want to go to bed at the same time there's been a lot going on you know so many variables that you can't even control so how about we just continue that lovely area so it is helpful to kind of iron out that area 
some things to do in that time. Definitely just logically thinking what makes me happy and what makes me fairly content and relaxed. And the reason I say sort of content more than I usually say relaxed is because I think when you say relaxation, especially to a lot of people that suffer from insomnia, there's a lot of panic around that stuff doesn't work for me because they have the wrong expectations of it because they believe it's going to fix all their sleep problems. Um, and also, it, you know, there's a lot of people out there that when you talk about, you know, relaxation techniques, breathing techniques, winding down techniques, they just don't feel that that's for them. So I think you really need to be mindful of what is right for you, just not the same things that you do during the day. You mentioned in terms of that wind down, that's really, really interesting kind of, you know, having your wake, your wind down and your bedtime. Normally you just hear wake time, bedtime. You said kind of a few hours. Is there, I know I'm asking for specifics here, which I'm guessing there probably aren't, but is there a certain time of the day that it's good to kind of start that wind down? Should it be the same time every day? Does bedtime need to be the same time? All I would say is in general, well, you you don't want to be changing things too much at specific times of your week. For example, weekends, of course, sometimes you're going to go out and that's totally okay. But if you're very rigid, week I do this, weekend I do this, what you're doing is creating a pattern. So that's not ideal. So it's just trying to stick to it more often than you don't. But essentially, the best way to look at it is how much sleep do I feel I need in order to feel rested and okay most of the time? In order to really look at that, you really need to take an average. You can't be thinking about what is the perfect night because you're not going to get that. So for me, I know just from, you know, looking back at the last year, for example, thinking about what happens to me when I'm on a holiday after the first couple of days of like, you know, catching up or whatever happens when you go on holiday, you know, thinking about, okay, I am an, an average sort of seven and a half, seven to seven and a half average our sleeper, it seems. So what I would do is I obviously keep my get up time around about the same. I'll work back from that and maybe just give myself an opportunity of seven and a half to eight hours uh, where I know that if I need it, the sleep opportunity is there. So what I mean is there's a safe place that I can go that's nice and quiet that I can go to bed essentially. But that does not mean that I go to bed at the same time. It just means that that opportunity is there. And then the line is blurred between that bedtime and that wind down time. Um, but if you're using those numbers to figure out when perhaps your opportunity might start, maybe seven and a half hours or so work out what that is. And then I might take another couple of hours to make sure that there's like a, a really good place for me that I'm not eating my dinner. I'm not, um, doing things that I would do during the day. I'm not prepping for tomorrow because a lot of people get ready for bed and then it reminds them of all these things that they've got to do. So I would always start your your wind down time with getting in your pajamas. So you're actually going to get in your pajamas and do all that stuff, brush your teeth earlier, let it remind you of all the things that you need to do and then go into this lovely time as much as you can, having these couple of hours. And yes, most of the time what you'll notice if your get up time is the same, your sleep time, your bedtime will probably start to become more predictable, but you didn't dictate that. And also sometimes it's not going to be predictable and it's totally okay. Of course, when I have to speak in front of 500 people in real life, I get a bit nervous. I can't sleep well. So what I'll do is I'll just extend that you know, wind down opportunity and I will wait until I'm feeling sleepy tired because even if I do not get the duration that night, I know that the quality is going to be a hell of a lot better. Even if I can only get four hours, it's going to be a hell of a lot better if I spent my time resting, not worrying about it, enjoying myself even. 
And then when I finally felt sleepy, I took myself to bed and I, and I had, I had a bit of sleep. It's always going to be better than tossing and turning for eight hours in bed. I love that permission to kind of go with how you're feeling on the day and that that's okay. Exactly. (laughs) So with so much contradictory health information out there, something that we love to do on this podcast is dispel a myth. So if you don't mind, I'd love to throw a few of the common sleep myths that we hear and get your thoughts. Sure. (laughs) So I'm going to start with one that I think I might know uh, the answer on, Mm -hmm. but we need eight hours of sleep every night. Because you're always told we need that golden eight hours. True or false? (laughs) False. Everyone needs a different amount of sleep. And there'll be genetically short sleepers and genetically long sleepers. And even if you are an eight hour sleeper, you are not going to get that every night. Give yourself the opportunity most of the time, but do not expect that you're going to be getting that every night. That's fine. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Screen time before bed ruins your sleep. This is a tricky one because it doesn't necessarily ruin your sleep. You don't have to be the perfect person. However, there is far more health consequences for being connected all the time. So the screens like phones that keep you connected, which is not ideal. Um, yes, it can impact your sleep. It will probably delay your sleep onset slightly. It may make the quality of your sleep poor. But I think this kind of hard and fast rule is interesting because, for example, if I want to watch something with a low brightness before I go to bed, and I know that doesn't impact my sleep, so I'm not going to be watching about zombies, I'm not because I know I'll have nightmares, (laughs) then that's absolutely fine. Um, Yes, of course, in the perfect world, if we could one or two hours come away from connection, that is really helpful for so much more. Like, for example, your focus and your intelligence and just to let your body wind down and stop taking information in. That's the issue. Because if you think about when you're a caveman, not us, but you know, um, when we're back then, we weren't taking in that much information, but our brains haven't evolved that much since then. So your sleep hasn't evolved to do more memory processing and, um, you know, uh, psychological processing and, and consolidation. And so, you know, we, we need to give ourselves a bit of time to get rid of some of it or at least have a break from it. It's just tricky. I don't, I don't like giving a hard and fast rule here because I just think I'm not, I'm not following that all of the time, but I do feel a hell of a lot better when I do in Mm. general. Is that the same for reading? So reading before bed is a great way to prepare for sleep is another common you know, activity or or myth that we hear. Is that true? Um, So reading is wonderful anyway. I think it's fantastic. The things that it does to your brain, um, the way you learn, which is very different from when you're reading on a iPad, for example, we don't read the same and we don't take it in the same. We don't get the same benefits. Uh, So I think it's a wonderful way to wind down. Just, I think the same thing, just make sure that, you know, whatever you're reading isn't so dramatic that you're going to start, because I know I'm like this, I'm highly sensitive. If I start reading about the zombies or watching the zombies I'm going to dream about zombies so it really depends on you but it's I think in most cases it's wonderful now there'll be a subtype of people that are listening who are my insomnia uh, patients who will be like you told me not to read in bed but what it is is when you're going through a program of treatment to fix the goal is to fix chronic sleep problems then I will take away a fair bit 
in the short term. And this is just because we're teaching the brain to spend less time awake in bed. So if you can ideally sleep, uh, sorry, ideally read outside of the bedroom, but a little bit of reading before you go to bed is wonderful. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's a good time of the day to read for a lot of people, I know. So you mentioned outside of the bedroom. Uh, Another uh, common thing we hear is that you should have a specific sleep environment. So you need to sleep in the same place every night. Is that really important? Um, It is true that when you change your environment, you're going to find that your sleep has to realign. It's just like everything else in your body. Every time you change something, it has to realign with the new normal. So it is normal to have a few changes. Sometimes that can't be... um, that can't be expected depending on how somebody's having to live their life. So, you know, it would be nice to have a very similar environment that is somewhere safe and comfortable that you feel you can rest, but it's not necessary in order to sleep. And what about optimal sleep requiring pitch black room, those blackout blinds? Should we be having them? So this is probably one of the only, so I don't know if you've ever heard the term sleep hygiene, which is often how it's, you know, a thousand things that you can do to uh, fix your sleep or, you know, whatever. Most of it, unfortunately, is probably not going to do what you think it's going to do. However, the light is key. Light is literally one of the most influential energy sources that we have available to us. But the issue is when you have it. And yes, it's true. If you can sleep in a pitch black room, and I challenge you to try and do it these days with all the technology and all the light that comes into our rooms, you 100% will notice a difference. It is the only thing that I will say with real, you know, confirmation that you will probably if you can sleep in a pitch black room and you might have remembered if you've ever gone to a hotel room where you've actually managed to have pitch black or something like that the quality is better when you're like there's no light infiltrating into your brain wow i'm just thinking of the night light that i have in uh baby girls room, and but i'm the thing like is, maybe not yeah but at the same time you know you're dealing with a lot of different things there like for example you don't want you know if if a, if a baby is fearing or a child is fearing sleep having a little light make sure it's more orange rather than blue or white anything like melatonin. that is going to be helpful um you know you've got to do what you've got to do sometimes you can't live hard and fast by the rule it's personalized it depends on what's the big issue here is it the worry and the anxiety or is it actually the sleep quality so we've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt no absolutely and actually it made me think for anyone listening because you mentioned a few times about um light and even if you're watching uh tv or in that kind of wind down contented period before bed to kind of lower the lights that um light can have an effect on on your melatonin production so um just to be careful about the types of light that you're exposed to right so i can't believe it but we're actually coming to the end Um, I feel like I want to pick your brain on everything selfishly. Um, But something that we love to ask, uh, because again, sometimes it can seem like the experts have all the answers and they're just living this perfect life. But I know that's not true. Uh, So I would love to know out of all of the sleep advice, what do you personally find the hardest to follow? 
So I think you raise a really good point that I do not sleep well all of the time. I think that's really important. And I do look after my sleep in the ways that I described. But everyone, I, I, I always talk about it like the 85%, 90% rule. That's just about as much good sleep as you could possibly get, even if you're doing all the right things. Um, but for me, it's what we spoke about earlier. So coming off your phone before bed, I think that um, I, I read a lot of Johan Hari. He wrote a book called Stolen Focus. Um, and uh, honestly, it really changed everything for me. And I understand that there are things in my control, but also because our society is not built for us to try to avoid some of these things. It's actually really, really hard to give up that connectivity. It is becoming an addiction and or is an addiction. So that is what I struggle the most with. And I, and every time I manage to do it, I feel so much better so quickly and my brain wants to do other things. I, I convince myself I do not have time. And yet when I give up my phone an hour or two before bed and I don't know what's going on in the world, I'm doing yoga. I'm reading my book. It's fantastic. But I, I every single time, like he talks about how it is actually not up to the individual all of the time, because actually if things don't change with the bigger powers that be, then we it's really hard for us to change. And that's what I'm finding. Um, and I'm trying really hard, but just like everyone else, it's hard to do. That's such a good one. Well, that's all we have time for. Um, that was absolutely fascinating. I think we're going to have to bring you back for a part <laughs> two, three and four. Thank you so much oh, for, thank you for having joining me. It's us. It's been really fun. Um, and for I've really enjoyed our conversation for anyone that would like to find out more about Stephanie and her work you can find all of the links on our podcast page at bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast thank you so much Stephanie thank you in the next episode we'll be discussing weight loss trends for 2024 with NutriCheck senior nutritionist Emma White don't forget about our bonus recipe episode out on Thursday, where you can cook along with me and make South American style quinoa with fried eggs. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Food Podcast. For more health tips, guides and recipes, please visit bbcgoodfood.com. Good Food.